0: Welcome back to
1: another episode of Food for Thought, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to your health, all dimensions of your health. I'm Carissa McKay, one of your health promotion specialists in Edmonton, and this week I'm excited to have Jeremy Parisini back with us. He is the reconditioning specialist in Suffield, and we are going to be looking at and talking about all things movement, specifically or more broadly, depending on how you like to define it. Active living is the phrase du jour, So back when we had the old Food Guide Rainbow, which honestly I'm trying to forget, we also had the Physical Activity Guidelines, but as with everything, those have been modified over the years as well. So Jeremy, welcome, and let's dive into this. Yes, Carissa, I'm very glad to be back on. Excellent. So... Given that in the introduction that I just used, the terms movement, active living, physical activity all seem to be used interchangeably, maybe the best place for us is to start with unpacking what these words actually mean and what the definitions are that we're trying to impress upon people in terms of those minimums and maximums that people think that they need to be incorporating on a regular basis and and all of those little nuances. So is that okay with you if we start with that?
0: Yeah, that's an important place to start because active living is a politically correct bit of jargon. And I think that if I was an outsider, I might think, I might just assume that that is synonymous with physical exercise. What that means is going to the gym. I think that's a reasonable presumption for outsiders to make. And the distinction between active living and exercise actually has a difference. And the difference is that active living is a broader concept. It's actually an easier thing to do. So there, there's, um, it's a piece is what it is. Active living, especially with two other variables, it's a way of comporting yourself through life. Active living is one piece of it. Second is sleep. And the third is nutrition these three concepts get combined together, like a lot of organizations, a lot of the, the Canadian military, for for example, they call that a performance triad. So there's, there's different ways and there's different variables that sometimes get intermixed with them. But active living is the one that describes moving in the basic sense of the word. Okay. So these days, the two models that interest me and that I think are, I think appropriate to focus on for this podcast would be a model by the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology. This is abbreviated CSEP, right? And then the second would be the ACSM. So sort of the American counterpart, the American College of Sport Medicine, which is also buttressed by the CDC in the US. In any event, so starting with the CSEP model, what CSEP does is for active living, they're describing it on a weekly basis, okay? And so what CSEP has said is that the proportion, so addressing just the active living component, for best health between the ages of 18 and 64 years of age, this is for an apparently healthy human being, right? This is not obviously for somebody who has, well, especially in advanced diseases or infirmities, but for the apparently healthy, as we might say, what you should be targeting is about 150 minutes of activity per week total, okay? And so that's an important piece of it, is that quantitative aspect okay And secondly is it's best if you have what they' what they're terming muscle strengthening activity in there okay which will I'm sure unpack as the episode progresses you should be doing that at least twice weekly within those 150 minutes. The ACSM model is very uh, very similar to that. They refer to an age category between 18 and 65, but again 150 minutes is the benchmark that they're telling us to shoot for uh, and again including muscle strengthening, activity at least twice weekly. So so that's sort of the base lay of the land here.
1: All right. So that helps to clarify, I think, some of those targets that people might recognize having heard those in, in some capacity. So I know that it's also been written and reported on in various capacities by us, inclusive of that, that sitting is the new smoking in terms of how bad it can cumulatively be for your health. So is that considered in the ways that these guidelines that you've just described are written so that people get that sense that as much as you can do in the potentially smaller increments over the day, in terms of that more broad active living definition, might actually be in fact superior to one long intense bout of those so-called moderate to intense minutes, and then just sitting at your desk for the rest of the day. How do those things lay out against one another?
0: So let's talk first about sitting being the new smoker, okay? Okay. Um, and let's just talk, I think what what you might've meant by that is, does it count as active living? If I've replaced sitting at my desk with standing at my desk, is that what you mean? No, I think a lot of people mean
1: they go to the gym for an hour, an hour and a half, but then the rest of their day is spent in a sedentary pursuit, sitting at their desk and standing all day at your desk or sitting at your, all day at your desk, I don't see as being significantly different from one another. The idea more being that is it better to have smaller doses incrementally over the day? So you go for a walk in the morning, then you do like a light circuit training routine at lunchtime. And then you go for another walk in the evening, as opposed to you just do your workout in the morning, and then you're pretty much sitting for the rest of the day.
0: I think it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Okay. What we're talking about is a recommendations for best health is to get those 150 minutes. Okay. And so there's nothing within these recommendations. There's no reason to believe you're going to link closer to the health benefits if you're doing it all in a single bout uninterrupted versus piecing it out through your day. I've not seen anything to lead me to believe that one way or the other is more effective. And we're going to touch on the other side of what I'm about to describe, except when it comes to, especially for the young. So for somebody who's Let's say in your 20s or perhaps your late teens, and again, you're 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 physically healthy. I can think of ways that you could spread it out so thinly that what you're doing hardly counts as really being physical activity. For example, what you thought was going towards you 150 minutes was walking, and you were doing 10 second bouts of it, let's say once every three minutes or so. I think that starts to become something that is potentially not physical activity. Right. So I do think it is possible to spread it thinly enough out. I mean, this, the physical activity to get these health benefits, it should still be vigorous enough that it feels different from being sedentary, at least while you're doing it, if not after you're done. Right. So does that sort of get to where you're going there?
1: I think I just wanted people to feel that if they aren't, you know, gym rats, but they love going for a walk or they really enjoy like a nice vigorous dance session with your kids after school or, you know, some Frisbee in the backyard or some badminton that it doesn't necessarily have to be this one single arduous thing. But yeah, you need to be breathing a little bit heavy. If you can
0: sing while you're walking your dog, you're probably needing to pick the pace up a little bit. Yeah, but you see like what you just described there, like it. We don't think of anything you just described, for example, playing Frisbee with your dog and your kid. We, it's very obvious that's not sedentary. It's obviously, it's obviously not sport either. Like that is a perfect example. You're taking yourself out of your sedentary mode to do that clearly, right? That's a perfect example of active living.
1: Yeah. Okay. So active living, but not necessarily active enough to give you some of those benefits in terms of cardiovascular endurance or the muscle strength thing, because that needs to be something that's a little bit more prescriptive, that's going to get you to those
0: different goals that you might ultimately have. I think the distinction we're going for here is the distinction between performance benefits, especially sport performance benefits and and health benefits. Yeah. What we're focused on right now in this podcast is health benefits. So this is just like, am I balancing my sleep, my activity, nutrition in such a way so that I can expect to get a lower risk of this or that disease? Right. Right. We're talking yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect.
1: So just to confirm then, because there might be some people who took offense to what I said about the standing desks, but with ergonomics being a much more significant consideration over the last couple of years, as a lot of people switched to working at home, or even before that, there was a lot of people that had shifted to standing desks, whether that's at your kitchen or in your makeshift workspace or wherever you normally would be working in terms of the pros and cons of a sit versus a stand desk is one really better than the other? Because again, it seems to me that sitting all day isn't great, but standing all day and developing varicose veins is probably not that great either.
0: (laughs) Well, the point is that each one of them is sedentary. It's a stationary way of behaving, right? So it's certainly not active living. I mean, I have to really strain to see how standing for long periods of time uninterrupted brings you closer to that physically active lifestyle. But the one way I'll push back against that is I'll say, that people who use standing desks effectively, a lot of times they're doing it by, they haven't just replaced standing all day or sitting all day with standing all day. They're using a combination of both. Okay. That's how I use it. Right. And so if you are doing it one and then the other, and you're going up and down and you're also, if when you're standing, you're walking around more because you don't have to get up and then sit down again that can be that can make it easier for you to live actively i think it has that effect with me i just people don't think of me as lazy but the truth is that you know it's as a system standing seems to just it just it's easier for me to move around more when i'm standing in the first place versus when i'm sitting do you have the same sort of feeling
1: I very rarely sitting still
0: regardless of whether I'm sitting or standing
1: so it makes no difference to me and I don't like typing when I'm standing so I've never wanted a standing desk. I think that in terms of sitting versus standing desks being one more active living than the other, I don't I think that that as you say is a distinction without a difference. I would argue that regardless of whether you choose to sit or stand for your work, that the most important thing is that you get up and move away from your desk once an hour from either a sitting or a standing position and do something for five minutes, walk around, get a drink of water, go to the photocopier, pick up all the stuff that she sent there over the course of the hour or whatever. So that would be my argument there, but that could just be me. It's one thing to recognize that we should exercise because it's good for us, but quite another to really understand what happens physiologically and metabolically when we regularly participate in physical activity. So Jeremy, can you remind us of what all these well-known benefits are and how being active is protective of really a diverse and often quite preventable spectrum
0: of conditions? Again, concentrating on this, the health benefits, diabetes is a disease that tends to really like sedentary behavior. And it's it seems like a very effective way to push back against that disease if it's present and to stop it from taking place in the first instance is to be physically active, is to move around more. Don't have to be athletic to do it. If you can get those 150 minutes in or potentially a little bit more, if you're capable of that. Yeah, diabetes is one disease that it tends to be effective at pushing back against. And the physiology is kind of interesting, or at least I find it somewhat interesting. I won't go too far into the weeds here, but insulin, everybody knows that type one diabetes is a a disease that is caused by the lack of the ability to produce one's own insulin. Well, there's artificial forms of that hormone out there, but it turns out that uh, physical movement, so skeletal muscle, like when it contracts, there's something happening in there that is causing the channels on the cell membrane to open and let in that blood sugar. So I've always found that really interesting. Anyway, uh, heart disease is another disease that we can push back against with physical activity. And the way that occurs, to the extent we understand it, is, is far more wonky. That's another one. And related to that, this is a bit of a wonkish term, but hypercholesterolemia. So this means having a poor blood lipid profile, especially having aberrant amounts of LDL cholesterol low amounts of HDL cholesterol. Yeah, we can, we can modulate that. Um, weight gain and obesity is a more controversial one. Uh, but that's a type of disease state. And especially if you're coupling it with appropriate diet regime, yeah, then it's an effective way to push back against it. So, so there's, those are the few of the, you know, intuitive diseases that you can push back on with physical activity.
1: For sure. That makes sense. And I think that that is what a lot of people think about when they think about physical activity being preventive. I think that one of the most important considerations in that too, is that it's not something that we want to start thinking of too late in life. It's preventive if we do it preventively, which means we need to do it as early as possible. So it Curatively, it's way harder to do that as we've talked about before on this podcast, right? Like trying to gain back physical strength and conditioning losses is harder than if you just maintain that to a certain extent, getting to a healthy weight is harder. So if we can be preventive and proactive and doing that from the time that we're small and finding those ways to enjoy movement, enjoy being active, even if it doesn't feel like exercise, and maybe perhaps, especially if it doesn't feel like exercise then we're going to be getting these benefits as well as continuing just the lifelong joy of getting out and doing things that we enjoy participating in. Now that we've reinforced that notion that from a physical health perspective, that regular daily movement is super important. What are some of the perhaps more surprising things that we've discovered recently in terms of other benefits that people experience when they are regularly and
0: consistently active? Mm -hmm. Well, I, for one, Think it's less common to understand that there's a there's some type of association between active living and cancer, certainly cancers of specific types. Another one that we don't often think of is dementia. And again, w- w- when I talk about any of these diseases, I-, I don't mean to say that you know active living to the appropriate amount absolutely prevents any of this from happening. What we're talking about here is just relative risk. We're just talking about we're talking about a percentage risk reduction. Like your risk is X, maybe fifty percent you know, over the course of your lifetime, getting this or that disease state. Well, now if you introduce active living into the equation, you've reduced it by a certain percentage point, right? Certain amount of percentage points, okay. So another one would be uh, depression, anxiety. And this last one, again, sounds super morbid, but it's completely relevant to human existence. And this is all-cause mortality. This just means human beings die less frequently (laughs) at a lower rate of prevalence when they are physically active human beings, as compared to sedentary human beings, right? So just the way I look at that is I just think, well, obviously, with with that sedentary group, all the diseases that can be produced as an effect of that behavior, it's all operant there, and you get a certain rate of mortality. Other group have less of that occurring.
1: The two pieces that most people can probably relate to most of those surprising benefits that you just mentioned are are the depression and the anxiety pieces, because I think that for a lot of people, that mental health connection right now for the last two years, especially has been really impacted and physical activity is a known antidote might be a strong word, but you can go a long way in feeling better. If you've got either depression or anxiety, just by getting more physical activity in almost all almost any sense of how we've tried to define it, right? Again, there's there's parameters there, but for a lot of people getting out into nature, getting outside, going for a walk, that's been sort of a real boon to their health over the last little while, especially when they couldn't do some of the things perhaps they would normally have been doing, like going to the gyms when they were closed and, and those kinds of things. So what do you, how do you feel about that aspect of it?
0: I think it's hard to overstate the importance of what you just said. We're talking about physical activity increasing the quality of your life the quality of your existence. We, we all probably know somebody in your life who doesn't get joy out of moving. The hope is that eventually in time, you can find a way of moving about that brings you joy. And that makes you feel better. It makes you enjoy your life more. That should be encapsulate the broadest strokes of where we're going at with this with this health discussion here. I mean that alone has health benefits to it. If you found a way of experiencing life that is also intrinsically physically healthy.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the beauty of that is that it's so varied. It doesn't have to be just one thing. It can be so many things. And just to be clear, like, we're not saying that if you feel like you are suffering from symptoms of depression or anxiety, don't just go for a run and think that that's going to be, you know, the cure-all for that. Go get that checked out, get some help, maybe talk to a therapist. We all should have a good therapist on speed dial. I'm a huge advocate for that, but know that physical activity in its very varied forms can have a really impactful role to the
0: positive
1: on that. It can be part of a very therapeutic regimen that you might be Embarking on for yourself.
0: And interestingly, with respect to the intensity of the physical exercise that you're getting, or if you like the physical activity, this phenomenon, we can think of it as a bell-shaped uh, curve. So that with respect to the health benefits that you can expect to get out of it, don't think that the athletic are getting better health benefits from doing more intense physical activity. That is probably not true. And it's certainly not true at the extreme ends of that curve. So earlier a few minutes ago, we talked about spreading out your physical activity so thinly that it's unclear that it actually counts so that would be maybe the left end of that curve well so towards the right would be athletic Um, these are olympic athletes for example right there's actually well it's not just lack of health benefits at that extreme right of the curve like there is there's eventually it's unhealthy right and eventually these athletes know that what they're doing is actually so intense that their health is suffering from it and they usually don't you know, maintain their position on that extreme right end of the curve for long. So
1: yeah, and I mean, if if the problem was that we needed to rein everybody in from that, then we would be having a whole different discussion. But since what we're trying Mm -hmm. to do is get people to move from that spread it too thin and to somewhere in the middle, then I think that yeah, we absolutely need to consider that and know too that, you know, this is where that whole idea about training smarter, not harder comes in. You don't have to get to the point where you're working so hard that it's starting to feel like a slog because you might, in fact, be undermining some of those health benefits and performance benefits that you're trying to achieve. So I think it's important to, to bear that in mind as well. So we've been talking using all of these terms relatively interchangeably, and, and we try to straighten that out right off the hop. And now I feel you may want to provide maybe a bit more clarity on what we really mean by active living in terms of what kinds of things should people be running through in their mind when they're trying to figure out what they might be able to do consistently for that long haul. So what do those things actually look like? And what are those benchmarks that maybe we need to be following to make sure that we're actually hitting those targets to getting some of the the benefits that you've just described before in terms of our reduction in various disease risks and those kinds of things.
0: All right. so I'll deal with the second of the pieces first because it's the more straightforward in terms of what you should be targeting for it's a quantity it's a it's a minimum of 150 minutes per week and so. The best data doesn't allow me to be more granular than that as in like well you know this many minutes maximum per day it's not clear that it's just 150 minutes per week okay right now the more interesting of the pieces is what exactly counts, what doesn't count, right? So like, what does this movement actually look like? What does it not look like? Well, again, so we're looking for aerobic activity to be a lot of those 150 minutes and we're looking for muscle strengthening type of activity to be at least on two of the, two of the days of the week. So let's talk about aerobic activity. Some obvious examples of that that everyone knows counts would be running, be walking, swimming, aquatic exercise, as well. Pedaling a stationary bike, cycling a bicycle, that's an excellent example. A rowing ergometer or a rowing machine, that would count too. Using an elliptical device in a gym or a stepper. The point is that when you're doing this movement, your heart rate should be going up. You should be feeling warmer. You should be either perspiring or you should be starting to perspire. Now, that definitely counts as aerobic activity, but now there are some conditional examples of what counts. If you're deconditioned, so if you're somebody who this hasn't been part of the way you're living, or maybe not a, not enough of a part of the way you're living, you can also get conditioned. You might, you might fall into the category that I'm about to describe if you are closer towards the 65 range of the 18 to 65, as opposed to the younger part of the range. Now at that stage, it's possible for housework and yard work and activities of daily living, it's possible that more and more of those things count as aerobic for you because it's just your body as a system is less efficient at doing this and it's having to work harder in order to do it. And so then until it gets stronger, these things can count. We're, we're dealing in, in, in generalities at this stage and vagaries, so it can be hard to distinguish.
1: But wouldn't it be true too for a person? So say there, because I'm just thinking... I always work up a sweat when I'm vacuuming. Maybe it's because I vacuum too vigorously. I don't know. But I would say that I'm in relatively decent shape. So if a person is using that as their rest day, it's not going to be counting towards their, you know, physical activity, but it's going to allow me to still be,
0: you know, active on a day that I'm not doing a yeah. formal workout, right? It's definitely active. It's per se. I mean, unless what you're talking about, Carissa, is like with your remote control, just telling your robot vacuum, ready to go. Like, it's very obvious what you meant there is you're upright, you're moving around, you're reaching, you're pulling, you're lifting... You're stepping, you're walking, like that, that is active per se, right? I mean, it's possible that what we want is for the movement itself to be the reason that your heart is beating faster, right? Intrinsically, the reason that that, that is happening. And so a minute ago, you said that's not physical activity. What well, you know, that is physical activity. What it may or may not be is physical exercise. It may or may not be sport training. It's probably not going to be that, not for you, right? But it, But that is an absolutely perfect example of physical activity right there.
1: Perfect. Because the other example I was going to use is dancing, because the other piece that I think people forget is that even if you're like dedicated and you, you know, for the most part, really like working out, whether that's going to the gym or on your own in your own space where you've created for yourself a little workout area or whatever. But I think that you can also get stuck in a rut and it still needs to be fun. And so for me, one of the things that I love to do, and this has become like probably for the last couple, four or five weeks now on Fridays, that's my dance party day. So instead of doing my circuit training where I've got like the exercise bike and the dumbbells and, you know, burpees and push ups and all that stuff, I put on a Twitch and Allison YouTube video and I just dance with them for 40 minutes and we're sweating. And we're having fun and I feel like that 40 minutes of heart rate and I've got my Apple watch on and it's telling me that I've got my dance workout in and how many calories I have burned and, you know, whether or not that algorithm is properly calibrated and all that stuff, I don't know, but it shows me that I've done something. I'm sweaty. I've had fun. I have a big smile on my face and I'm ready to tackle Friday. So for people to remember that fun piece too, I think has to be there. So whatever that is for them, maybe it's not dancing with Twitch and Allison for everybody, but maybe it's something totally different, but completely outside the realm of what
0: they would normally do, right? That's perfect. Now, before we move on though, now we have muscle strengthening type of activity. That should be some fraction of your 150 weekly minutes. The point here is lifting, pushing, pulling against an external resistance, right? So using dumbbells, that definitely counts, plates, rubber bands, body weight can be used as muscle strengthening. Well, an obvious example of this would be push-ups, right? or pull-ups, squatting, even with your own body weight, would be an example of it. If you don't know whether or not something counts as muscle strengthening, what you want to look for is whether or not doing the activity is inducing fatigue in the muscle, even if it's also causing your heart and your lungs and your circulatory system to work harder. Is it causing the muscle itself to become fatigued? fatigue? Do you feel weakness set in? as a result in the muscle, weakness setting and in the muscle as a result of what you're doing. If the answer is yes, that probably counts as muscle strengthening. Which is important because we
1: do know how important that is both for, obviously we want to develop as much metabolically active tissue as we can so that we remain very metabolically active as we age. And we tend to already lose muscle, but for a lot of women, and it's maybe not so much in the military, but like the general population of women, they're like, Oh, I don't want to get too bulky for the most part. Unless you're on the juice, that's really going to be super hard for women to get really bulky. And again, you know, to borrow a word from the eighties, I think toning, like what is toning actually? What does that mean? Is oh, it- I'll tell
0: you. Okay. Muscle getting bigger. Like you don't increase the number of muscle cells. These things exist in long fibers, right? Like think of them as tubes and the diameter of the tube is simply growing. Like that's what we think of as getting, getting jacked right? There's a way to to make that happen. Like we have more proteins in there, like the fibers are getting bigger, right? That's one thing. You know what toning is? Toning is inside that tube. There's a certain amount of fat between the tubes. It's reducing the amount of fat that's there. Now the muscle's leaner. And it's something else too. It's it's also inside the cell. It's enzymatic upregulation. The point is it's chemical changes happening inside that cell. These are important changes. You know, these have performance benefits. We can definitely see them When we look for them, that's Tony.
1: You mentioned swimming. And I think that for a lot of people, the idea of swimming is terrifying because it means you have to put a bathing suit on and be out in public and get into the water. And even though the water is amazingly therapeutic and I love swimming, but I, I swim more like an elk than a graceful dolphin. And I'm not deconditioned. I swim so inefficiently and it takes every ounce of everything I have to get from one side of the pool to the other side of the pool. Again, you don't have to be good at it and it doesn't have to be pretty or elegant, right? Like you don't have to be good at it to still enjoy doing it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if you're not good at it, chances are you have to work hard enough that it's actually going to be and feel like
0: a real workout. Well, that's true, but it, it also sort of segues into our next subject, which is how to actually go about making the transition from being an active liver versus a non-active liver, because I don't think what you're intending to say there is that you should deliberately seek out the ways of being physically active that intimidate you. I think what you mean is it would be good if you don't feel dissuaded from doing it just because you're not skilled at it. On the other hand, all, and this is especially important for people who really need to make a change because really, they truly are sedentary, choosing the... Ways of being physically active that give you joy and choosing the easiest ways, that is very important. That's conducive to making the change and making the change last. That's extremely important.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more because you're not going to do something if you hate it or that you're intimidated by or any of those things. So yes, find the thing that you love and do it, but don't let your not being good at something dissuade you from doing it. You know, do it because you love it, even if you're not good at it. You know what I mean? Because if you saw me dancing, you wouldn't think I was good at it, but I still do it because I love it. Like I I love
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fine because I'll tell you, like what I enjoy. I mean, I, I was a high performance athlete, you know, and I'm really not that anymore. I still do like very intense physical exercise, right? But I actually do more now that I have the energy for it, I have the time for it. I do more like I've taken up growing vegetables and just keeping a big yard and just a lot of yard work. And I just, I'm just very meticulous about it. It's hard work physically. it's, It's not like as hard work as swimming really fast. No, clearly not. But, and I like it. I like the act of living. I just like being out there and I don't know, quality of life is better. I just like spending my minutes that way. Well, and I think that what I'm hearing from this
1: last sort of exchange is that it's not an either or right? It's, a, it's an and. You can do both. You can find ways to, especially for our military population who have to do certain things, right? They have to participate in unit PT. They have to do their force test. They have to do their rec march. They have to do all these things. And so hopefully they're also doing other things that are going to support and sustain those activities in a way that keeps them at the lowest risk possible of injury. But also hopefully they're also doing things that they enjoy doing in the time that they're not having to do those things, right? Because the stuff that they enjoy doing are the things that they're going to do when they don't have to do the military pieces anymore. And those are going to be the things like you've discovered now that you're not having to be on the triathlon world circuit, uh, that you can do these other pieces and and really get a lot of joy and contentment out of it. And the benefit of the fruits, literal
0: fruits of your labor, right? So definitely true. Yeah. And so if I could just also add one more thing, like suggestions for people wanting to make this change, Okay, so what, I, what we've talked about so far is what to do, right? And sort of on the inverse of that, also think about how you can make it hard for you to make the wrong decision, okay? An example would be having to do with systems, right? So if, if the way, one of the ways that you are planning to be more physically active is doing the vacuuming yourself, here's when you are going to decline the robot vacuum option, <laughs> At the time, you're not going to give yourself that option, right? It's when you're going to not hire a maid and you're not going to have the food delivery service app on your phone either. <laughs> okay. Do you see where I'm going with this? Incredibly important. Another very common example is asking a friend to keep track. Well, to follow up with you, right? Mm-hmm. That makes, that, that, that's a way of also introducing friction into the equation of making the wrong choice there.
1: Absolutely. And I think that uh, what I really like about that piece about the friend is building in some kind of accountability, right? Like having some kind of check and balance to make sure that you're going to stick with those things. So yeah, there was an interesting podcast that I listened to about trying to get more time into your life. And so some of those things were get your room bug, hire a cleaning service, do those things. Because if you then have that time not spent doing these other tasks that you really dislike, like preparing a meal or cleaning your house, then you have that time to do something else, which could be participating in some kind of physical activity or going for a run or going to the gym. But it may also be just unfortunately doing something not as active, but that's where it becomes kind of like a balance. So while I think external accountability is good, like I have an watch, which I have a love-hate relationship with during the week, it's great. It reminds me, get up, move around for five minutes or 140 calories to go in your clothes, your move ring. So it keeps me on on track when I'm at my desk working and, and forgetting that I need to you know get up and get some blood moving and whatever. But on the weekend when I actually don't want to do all of that, it's still hounding me to like, get up, get moving. You're not going to close your rings. You're going to screw up your streak or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I just want to not, I want to not have that. But if you have a friend who's like, hey, let's go for a walk. Every Saturday, we're going to meet at 11 o'clock, we're going to go for a walk, we're going to go through the river valley, we're going to do the stairs. Now you've got two birds with one scone, right? You're getting your social activity in, you're meeting up with someone, and you're still running those stairs or walking those stairs and getting your heart beat up and get going for a good sweat, getting some vitamin D in the sunshine. So, you know, all of those pieces come with a balance, a trade off. So I think you bring up some really good points. And I think the counter argument to that is we can't let every decision that we make be dictated by whether it's me being active or not being active, I think we have to find ways to, how do we put it all together? What does it look like? What does, what do those systems look like? And how do we find?
0: Do you think think that as you've gotten older, you've gained better insight into what forms of movement actually bring you joy as an individual? I think so. I think so. Like I think that there's a
1: certain element of wisdom for sure that comes with that. I think also there's a bit of a, I have a few less F's to give. So it doesn't matter to me whether I'm particularly good or bad at something. If I like it, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to be dissuaded by what other people may think of me doing those things. With age comes wisdom. So hopefully we start thinking less about like, is this going to give me a good bicep
0: versus am I having fun and is this enjoyable, right? But the pity is evidently in the population at large, most people, unfortunately, are not finding this as they get older, that they get more joy out of movement. If that were the case, I wouldn't expect trends to be what they are.
1: But I think that that um, comes back to the what we sort of highlighted earlier, which is it needs to be instilled at a young age. If you wait till you're older to discover the things that give you joy, I think it might then be too late. I think that you need to have always been open to finding those things from a movement perspective that give you joy and maybe be able to deal with all of that trauma for lack of a better word that we may have endured as a result of like horrible phys ed teachers in our junior high or high school days or you know bad coaches in college or wherever you know I mean I think it's no well, different than when you look at like professional athletes who have sort of gone to seed because they don't have that pressure to perform anymore right like cl- did they love it at some point they probably did but did they replace that with something else or are they now doing nothing right so I think that that's a question I think the, the sooner you develop an innate curiosity and desire to challenge yourself to try new things and find those things and the likely change you know heather talks about loving downhill mountain biking but she doesn't do the black diamond ones anymore because she still wants to feel the wind in her hair but she also knows that if she falls off her bike now it's going to be way more disastrous than 20 years ago you know so you still do the activity but you modify it you know maybe you go from running a marathon to doing just Way more intense hiking, I think it really well, depends on so many
0: factors but and one of them is disease states and, and that's unfortunately not disconnected with the idea of getting older. I think it's very possible that what's happening a great many times, great many cases is that you don't do this and the longer it is that you don't do this that you live that sedentary life, well now the more frequently diabetes occurs and obesity occurs and then that limits what you can do and how much you can do of it and now the list, the list of options is small so that's that's the why it is that's why it's important for you to start earlier you can you can hopefully prevent getting in that state eventually i suppose that's one explanation for how I've been able to broaden my horizons, even though I'm, I'm older, like I'm significantly older than when, than I was, you know, when I was a truly high performance athlete, yet it seems like my horizons are broader, you know, it's, it's because I haven't, I haven't closed any of them off, you know? So I guess, but, but I know that it's, it's definitely true for me. Like just, when I was younger I don't know that I got much joy. Like I was actually in a sport that's not very enjoyable. Like man hurts a lot. It's like a way of punishing yourself pretty acutely. I certainly got a kind of joy out of it, but I don't know. I was told to tell the professors that physical activity is fun. I don't know if I really believed it. And yet now I think is the first time I'm really believing that. I am looking for, like I'm looking 20 years, 30 years ahead of me. And I'm thinking like, I might only have another good 30 years like to really move a lot. And that's a pity. (laughs) Like I'm fearing the
1: day. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's true. But again, I think that comes back to what we started the conversation with was the preventive aspects, right? So start early. It's never too late. Be open to as many different things as possible that you might not even know that you enjoy and allow that variety to sort of just guide what you choose to do, right? So yeah. Do the things for performance while you need to, while you can, while that's of benefit and joy for you, and then shift to things that just are fun and allow you to maintain that level of fitness, maintain that level of decreased risk for those diseases that you mentioned, and still find ways to connect with others mm-hmm. and do things that leave you with a smile on your face and those endorphins here's at the, the end.
0: Here's the interesting one. You know, I mentioned all-cause mortality, but you know, it's not clear that physical exercise or physical activity really increases your life experience. Well, I would say physical activity probably has, has that better relationship with life expectancy, but physical exercise pretty clearly doesn't have, like it's, it's don't confuse like all cause mortality reduction with life expansion or life extension. Like that's no, but a I pretty, think, go ahead. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good,
1: no, it's a good point, but I don't want to live. I don't want to live till I'm a hundred and have a sucky life, right? I'd rather live till I was 80 and have a good quality of life. I don't don't necessarily need more quantity of life necessarily, like all things being equal. I don't want to have, I don't want to live in a disease state either. But I think that if we're trying to like all cause mortality, I don't think that that's what I would look at. I would look at, am I by doing these things, increasing the likelihood that I'm going to be able to do these things for a longer period of time and still enjoy it and still have movement. Do I want to be a happy, vigorous, vibrant 80 year old? Absolutely. Do I want to be Mm -hmm. running a marathon when I'm 80? Not particularly. I don't really want to run a marathon now. So, you know, what is, what are you looking for? Quantity or quality of life? I mean, there's a certain amount of quantity that you would want. I mean, I don't want to die when I'm 52 either. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So Jeremy, as always, a very entertaining conversation, any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners as they start working on creating those systems and hopefully integrating these things into their lives that will allow them to be as active as they can so that they will continue to reap all of these amazing benefits?
0: Well, I'm hoping that as many military people as possible are the ones listening to this podcast. And so if you are especially Canadian military, then I want to tell you that the physical fitness standards, as they now are in the Canadian military, they are what they are. And that that's just to make sure that you're physically fit enough to do the job. But your physical activity piece, everything that Chris and I have just been talking about, this is going to be really important in determining the quality of get. <laughs> so take it pretty seriously. If you do this job right, you can have a great many years of happy retirement. So let's make those as happy as we can.
1: I love it. That's a a good final thought to, to leave the folks with for sure. So
0: thank you as usual for a
1: fun and insightful conversation. And thank you everybody for listening. Hopefully this has cemented for those of you who were already consistently being physically active, the reasons for keeping on with that. And also reminded you of finding that sweet spot to work out in to get the benefits without increasing those risks. And hopefully we've also provided some ideas, thoughts and strategies to encourage those who need to find ways to build activity back into their daily routines. We say it all the time, but we were made to move. We are happier and more productive. And as Jeremy has so clearly showed us today, healthier when we make movement a part of our days as much and as often as we can. Looking forward to sharing more food for thought with you in a few weeks. But in the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip-flop.